Howdy y'all and welcome to your dog's best life. I'm going to launch right into a story so that you understand why you're hearing just my voice. So I was just down herding sheep because it's cold all the way down to 85 degrees. It's like ridiculously cold here and I'm down there and I'm herding and Maggie calls me to cancel our recording tonight. So I feel like I should call this podcast Maggie's fault. Because Emily's buried right now. She's, she's, well, clearly so is Maggie. Um, Emily's got a new job at a veterinary hospital and is buried in veterinary stuff. And I know how exhausting that can be. And Maggie has apparently like 15 Zoom meetings and 2,000 emails. And I'm glad I don't have a real job. So what are we going to talk about today? So here's the thing. I actually had a plan, believe it or not. Well, I had a plan B because I kind of know who my friends are. And... Speaking of plan B, we're going to talk about that in a second. So here's the deal. Last week when I was all by myself again, I spoke about when uh, positive reinforcement training fails. And one of the things I discussed was creating a um, good antecedent picture for success. And so we're going to talk about that because just throwing out the idea, well, create success for your dog, not so helpful. So what I'd like to do is discuss what it takes to create a successful training situation for your dog and kind of walk you through the steps so you can do it yourself. So the first thing I'm going to do is tell you the worst case scenario so that you're going to think your own dog is crazy easy. So today I went down and I had to, I was going to do some herding with my own dogs. So that entailed locking up all the other dogs who might go down and interfere while I'm moving sheep from one place to the other. So I round up all the other dogs, lock them all up. Then I grab my leashes, take my three dogs down that I'm going to herd with, tie up two of the dogs so they don't also interfere with my moving the sheep, gather my sheep, move them into the arena, and then I have to sort the sheep based on what I want to do. And so that means knowing what I want to do and who I'm going to do it with. So um, some sheep are dog broke, I'm putting that in air quotes, and what that means is they are more likely to follow me, the handler, than the other sheep. Other sheep are not as dog broke, meaning that they are more likely to just take off helter-skelter like deer. The dog broke sheep are really useful for certain dogs, obviously new dogs, and the helter-skelter psycho sheep are better for certain things like driving, having the dog teach, uh, teaching the dog to drive the sheep away from me because they don't care about me. So I had to pick out the sheep that I want to do, think about what I'm going to teach, and there's a lot that goes into that. So do I need to use hay to help place the sheep in certain locations in the arena? In which case I can't have full sheep because they'll just walk away from the hay. From the hay. If I'm walking the sheep on a place with a lot of grass and they're super hungry, they won't move for anything. So then I'm setting my dog up for uh, failure because my sheep are a bunch of pigs and they just lay around like turds and eat their grass and don't move. So all of this goes into herding and then I sort the sheep that I want and then I'm going to actually start training. <laughs> so all of this ridiculousness led into my training and I train with one dog and then I need to resort the sheep because the other dog is going to have different needs and keep going for three sheep. So it takes me about an hour, hour and a half to do herding with three dogs, depending on, I usually focus on two dogs. I don't have the mental fortitude to do a full training session with all three dogs. So usually I have one dog as the sorting dog. They're not really going to get work, quote unquote. They're going to just do sorting, but they're going to have to do it right. I'm not going to let them get away with sloppy 
behavior or anything like that, but it's very brief. And then I'm going to work two dogs and then probably put the dog, put the sheep away with a sorting dog or the last dog that went depending. In this case, I let Tag do it and that was a wreck. So it is what it is. So how do you, now the good news is unless you're hurting, you don't have any of this. So already I want you to sit down and say, whew, my job is so much easier. So let's talk about what it does take to train a dog in quote unquote normal behaviors. And I'm talking about sit and down and loose leash walking and stay, the things that we want to teach our dogs or household manners, because that's taught too. Like right now, Cody's laying on the floor. She's not ricocheting around the walls and making me crazy or bringing me toys or peeing in the corner or chewing up my rugs. All of those behaviors were taught. She didn't come magically with an understanding that chewing up rugs is a bad idea. So all of that was taught too. And we're going to go into that in a little bit later. So the first thing we want to do whenever we're setting up a training session with our dogs is put all the other, unless your dogs are super advanced, in which case you're probably not listening to this podcast anyway. <laughs> if your dog is super advanced, put your other dogs away. Uh, put your children away, put the cat who distracts the crap out of your dog away. You want to create a situation for your dog where they're more likely to succeed. And so if there are two other dogs and they're fighting for the food, you're, you're not, you're creating a wreck for yourself. So just make your life easy. Put your other dogs away. That's the first thing. The second thing is know what you're going to train. What are you going to train today? And kind of have an idea of what success looks for. That is called, um, clear criteria. So as an example tonight, uh, with Cody, I wanted her to go between the two sets of sheep. So I set up two bales of, of, or two flakes of hay in a separate location. And I called Cody through, that was it. My idea for success was that Cody wouldn't do a weedy, crazy, trying to flank out and, and squish the sheep together. Kind of a recall. That's all I wanted her to come straight at me. That was my criteria. Anything less than that meant that I had to change things up and I had to work harder, but having her come straight at me, that was my criteria. If I could then move forward from that position, then all the better. But that was where I was starting the picture from. And I made it easy by setting up two flakes of hay and calling her to, through two sets of sheep that were rather far apart. So what's your, what are you training and what are your criteria? So let's say you have a young dog and um, let's say tag. So I, I train tag to do parkour or I teach my dog tag to do rallyo, rally obedience. So in rally, there's come to, there's come to front, there's return to heel, there's around to heel. There's all sorts of behaviors. So first I have to know what I'm going to train. Well, just saying, I want her to be better at these things is not a goal. That's, that's, you can't measure it. It's not measurable. And it leaves too much wiggle room for you to get annoyed or for things not to work well. So we want to know exactly what we're going to train and we want to have specific criteria. I want Tag to be able to do a lovely facing me, bouncy, happy heel, uh, 15 steps between rewards. And I want to sustain the enthusiasm for 15 steps in between rewards. If that's my criteria, great. And so then I've set that up. So I need to know what it is I'm training. The other thing is, is uh, depending on your dog, every dog is different. So I have border collies and with the border collies, I kind of need to keep things quick. I need to keep things moving and I want to mix things up a lot. I need to challenge their brains. Some dogs can tolerate a whole bunch of repetition, you know, 500 sits. I find that breathtakingly boring as hell. 
I suspect my dogs do as well. I'm totally extrapolating my own feelings onto my dogs. So I don't generally drill, quote unquote, things with my dogs. I'll do healing for 10 steps, sit down, stand, walk on, pivot. I'm always moving things around. I'm always throwing things in there. I want them thinking quickly. I want them working and kind of on their toes. That's just how I work. Some dogs, like Billy the Kid, my livestock guardian dog, if you ask her to do something more than once, she's like, I showed you once, I'm out of here. She's not going to repeat it. <laughs> she's like, pay attention the first time or I'm out. And that's her, you know? So if, if I wanted to train Billy to do anything beyond guard my property from monsters, then I would have to go into a training session understanding that. And that also brings me to the idea of, well, how long is my training session going to last? Now, obviously, if I did all that ridiculous amount of work for setting up herding for my dogs, I'm not going to do a two-minute training session. That would be ludicrous. It took me 10 minutes just to describe what the hell we did to set it up. But in the house, most of my training sessions, literally five, 10 minutes tops, partly because I'm doing so much stuff fast. And I also take videos so I can then look back on the video and go, oh, I made a mistake here, or this is why this happened. And then I can wait two, three hours and go do it again. So I, my belief is generally short is better and drilling is bad. Again, your dog is going to tell you, but that's kind of my rule of thumb. And partly it's because I get bored and partly because I put so many behaviors into five or 10 minutes that I'm going to run out of dog um, and I'm going to run out of kibble or treats or what have you. Or they might get full, not my border collies, their bottomless pits. But um, so understand your criteria, understand what you're training, uh, have a goal, have a plan. The next thing is, is now that you've got a plan, check your own attitude. Oh my God, that sucks. I know. Check your own attitude. Are you in a good mood? Are you happy? Are you tired? Are you grumpy? Is it going to take one thing from your dog to send you over the top and make you annoyed? If so, don't train your dog. Now's not a good time. Don't set yourself up for failure either. You don't want to be in a situation where you're ticked off. So make sure you've set yourself up. So in my case with hurting, obviously I need to be awake. I need to be pretty much on my toes because there's a lot of running at this point still. Uh, because Tag sometimes forgets that eating sheep is off the menu. God, she's so silly. Um, and so I need to be fit. I need to be aware. I need to be paying attention. And here, because I'm working outside, I can't have the temperature be too high. Or my sheep will suffer, I'll suffer, and my dog will suffer. So I had to pay attention to the temperature. If the weather is shit, I'm not going outside. It, it needs to be fun. So I'm not going to go outside if it's pouring rain sideways. She's not going to hear me, and I'm not going to be happy. So make sure you're happy, make sure you're in a good mood, make sure you're not stressed, make sure you're not distracted. Here's the other thing is there's a lot going on in everybody's lives right now. Our heads are whirling. Maybe you can go into a training session and focus and be completely in the moment. That's fantastic, that's what you wanna be. But maybe you can't, maybe you've got your cell phone, you're waiting for a phone call, don't train. Or if you are gonna train, put your cell phone in the, in the bathroom when you lock your other dogs there and train for two minutes because it won't matter. So set yourself up, yourself as well, up for success. Go in with a good attitude, go in with a plan, go in having an idea of how long you're gonna train for and what it is you're gonna train for and what your goals look like. Your dog, how's your dog? 
to jog just eat a giant meal? Is it wanting to take a nap? Probably not the ideal time to train unless you're going to train them to settle down. That would be a great time to teach your bouncy, happy, giddy, goobery, golden retriever to settle in the house. Now is the time. Have him lie down. He's full. He's feeling lazy. Lie him down next to you and just long, slow strokes with your hand to say, good boy, settle. Yay. And he settles down because he's not ricocheting around the house like a maniac. I don't want my dog to ricocheting around the house like a maniac, even to go down with sheep. Because sheep might take a lot of energy, but it can't take a lot of what we call arousal in our dogs. I can't have a dog who's bajiggity, as it were, crazy, uh, wackadoo, because my sheep will start becoming wackadoo. And then everything turns to a shit show. Um, I already got mowed down by my sheep once today by a, a client dog. I don't like getting mowed down by sheep. They weigh a lot. The ground is hard. My elbows get scuffed up. Um, so I don't, I don't want that to happen. So in order for that to not happen, I have to make sure my dogs are going in right, the right attitude as well. How, are they exhausted? Are they tired? Then I'm not going to get anything out of them. Uh, because, because herding is such an active sport. Are they sore? Um, did they work too hard yesterday? Did they run too fast today? Did they uh, crash into something? Tag is forever colliding. She uses her body as a pinball and just slams into the world. If she's lame and sore, she's not going to work as well. And you might think, well, she'll still work. And if I'm not doing any damage, um, who cares? Here's the thing. Again, this is about hurting, but this also is relevant. If you're in a grumpy mood, she might take it out of the sheep. Um, is she frustrated? Has she had a shitty day? Has she been faced with something that's upset her for whatever reason? If she's going down to the sheep in a shitty mood, I'm not going to have a good, a good herding session. Now, again, herding is very high value for these dogs. So a lot of times, even if they've had a dreadful day, herding makes their whole world light up. But maybe your training sessions aren't that exciting. You know, maybe you've got a basset hound and, and they're like, well, I'll work for you for about a minute and a half and then I'm going to wander off and drool on something. And if that basset hound's already feeling, you know, maybe he got, he got into something last night and his tummy's a little sore, then he's not going to want, he's going to wander off faster than a minute and a half. And you don't want to get angry at that. You need to be proactive and pay attention and say, you know what, he, he feels like, garbage. He doesn't feel well. So I, I, I shouldn't have started this training session and now I can just walk away. Um, so make sure that your dogs are in a good place. Speaking of places, what, where are you training? So when we start off any training, we are going to start off at home in a place where our dogs will absolutely succeed. So I remove all distractions. Like I said, the cat's put away if I had one. The other dogs are put away. Their toys are put away if that might cause a distraction. If I'm not using toys as rewards, I want them a little hungry. I'm going to use high value rewards. And I'm going to set it up so that there's nothing to distract them. I don't want to spend my time that I would be training calling my dog, getting my dog off the walls, getting my dog out of the garbage, doing all of these things. That's exhausting. It's tiring. It's frustrating. And it's not a good feeling for you or your dog. It, so when you start off in your home, you should have no distractions, but at some point, ideally, you'd probably want to actually have your dog function outside your house, probably, but you shouldn't jump from having trained everything in your kitchen to a street fair. 
that won't work. That will fail. <laughs> I'm going to tell you now, it's not going to work. You need to slowly and incrementally move out of your house. So maybe you move to the front yard, or maybe you used to move to the backyard, or move, maybe you move to a little bit of a little bit of training being done on your loose leash walk while you're walking along in the morning or in the evening. And again, check your dog's attitude. If it's the first thing in the morning and your dog loves his walk and spends the entire walk ricocheting around like a maniac, probably now is not the time to inst to to introduce a 10-minute downstay. It's not going to happen. Instead, today's a day we try to get some sits on our walk. And maybe they're brief. And the reward for the sit is walking again. Because a lot of dogs are too excited to take treats on walks. So use what the dog wants to do as a reward. So all of this kind of involves creativity on your part. And, and training dogs, that's a reason that I, I just can't hand anybody a book and say, train your dog. Um, because every dog is different. And what works for the Basset Hound won't work for the Border Collie. And what works for the Border Collie won't work for the Malinois. And what works for the Malinois isn't going to work for my Marama Sheepdog. So I need a lot of plans. I need to kind of constantly keep it loose. And I need to constantly be looking for plans. What am I going to do now? What's plan B? So know where you're going to be training. Now, here's the other thing to be aware of. If you move from your kitchen to your front yard, you have to lower your criteria. So what your dog knew in the kitchen with kibble, your dog probably will not do as quickly or as well in the front yard with kibble. So you, you can do a couple of things to make the training session more likely to succeed. You can raise the quality of reward. So instead of taking kibble, cut up a hot dog. That might help. The other thing that might help is lower your criteria. Maybe right now your dog does an amazing five-minute stay. Maybe now in the front yard, you ask for a 30-second stay and see what you get. Now, if you get it and it's no problem, then sure, move to a minute, move to two minutes, move to three minutes. But don't start at 10 and they get ticked at your dog because he knows it. He's being stubborn. He's not. He's not. He's not being stubborn and he doesn't know it. He knows it in the kitchen. He doesn't know it in the front yard with cars passing by. He doesn't know it in the front yard with strangers walking by. He doesn't know in the front yard when he knows there's a cat someplace that he definitely wants to chase and possibly eat. So, no, he doesn't know it. So you've got to help him. My rule of thumb is if my dog is quote-unquote stubborn, it's not probably the dog. It's probably me. Does that mean a dog never, ever blows you off? No. That implies that dogs don't have free will, which you know, that sounds like Greek mythology, but um, they do. They can make choices. Dogs can make choices. Absolutely. Um, and we can go down into the weeds about why did he make this choice and what, and some of that's really relevant and some of it's not. But what is really relevant is that 90% of the time, if your dog is quote unquote being stubborn or won't work for you under these circumstances, you raise the criteria too far and too fast, either by moving to moving from your living room to the park where there are kids playing and there's a dog park and you're asking for the same behavior and the dog's like, oh, hells no. Or you've not lowered your criteria. So here's a kind of a, a rule of thumb to pay attention to. Let's say you... You've been working in your living room for a long time and your dog knows sit and down and loose leash walking and can kind of mostly heal and, and 
for whatever reason, you, you go to the park, you want to go hang out with a friend or what have you. And your dog is ricocheting around on the end of the leash, like a maniac. Where do you start? Cause you, you know that you're not going to get the behaviors you want, right? You know that asking for a sit and a down probably isn't likely. In fact, your dog can't remember their name. I'm going to say this. Do not say their name 900 times. Do not beg your dog to pay attention to you. Stand there and wait until your dog remembers you. You're going to look for eye contact and you're going to say yes. And you're going to feed eye contact. What that does is it gives the dog the idea that we can work in, a lo in another location. You've lowered your criteria so far down because presumably you paid, you trained eye contact of some kind orientation. I don't need eyes glaring lovingly into my eyeballs. I just need the dog to orient to me. So if I get orientation towards me, that is rewarded because that's where it starts. What I'm not going to do is wave food in front of their face and beg them to pay me, pay attention to me. That is a, it's horrific and annoying and boring and horrid and dreadful training. Um, the other thing, what it teaches the dog is that the dog can ignore you until you tell them to pay attention and that you're going to beg them. And I don't really like begging my dogs to pay attention to me. I want paying attention to be kind of automatic. So I would, my criteria, if I go someplace where I know that I'm probably going to not have the behaviors that I normally have is, do you remember I exist? I'm going to start there and reward the hell out of that. And then from there, if I can get it and sustain it and I can get a step or two steps, then I've got a loose leash walk and now I can start rewarding that. Or I've got a heel and I can start rewarding that. And now I can build up from that. But if my dog can't even remember that I'm there, I'm not going to get any other behavior. And the more I say the name, and get ignored the more I'm teaching the dog to ignore their name. So again, it comes down to building on success. And if you practice failure, your dog is going to fail. And saying a cue repeatedly, whether it's the name for them to orient on you or come or sit and be ignored is teaching your dog that they can ignore a cue. And I don't like doing that. I, I don't like setting my dogs up to see that picture as a possibility. Um, so we've set up a location where we know that we can train. We have an idea of our criteria. What are we going to, what are we going to train and what are we going to expect from our dogs? We are in a good mood. Our dogs are in a good mood. We, what rewards? So the next question is, what are we going to reward our dog with? And again, that partially comes down to where are you? If I'm, like, let me give you an example. So back in April, before the world ended, I was going to take Tag to her first ASCA show. Uh, that's uh, Australian Shepherd Club of America. And the ASCA show was a four-day long show, and it had both sheep and rally obedience. And Tag has been learning rally obedience, and I think she'd probably do pretty well, and I think we could probably get a title on her. So that's my standard for showing up and doing it. So uh, I was going to do that. And then I was going to also do herding. Now, in TAG's vision of reward systems, treats are awesome, but sheep are mind-blowing. So if I got out of the vehicle and she saw sheep first, the fact that I normally train her with kibble probably won't work in the presence of sheep. So if I don't want to set myself up for failure, I'm going to have to bring chopped steak or something unbelievable and have that as a contingency plan so that I can get my rally obedience done 
in the world, in a universe where sheep also exist. Because in, in, I've never trained in that situation. Now, do I have a problem if I go into the arena and she totally melts down and can't function and just stares, hopefully, at wherever she knows the sheep are? No, because that is not a contingency I've ever set up before. I've honestly never trained her near sheep to do something other than herding. So I would have, had the world not broken, fallen apart before April, I would have gone down to the sheep pen and I would have started practicing rally obedience behaviors near the sheep to start setting that up. Then I would have gone to the park where we normally play frisbee and I would have, because that gets her excited too, I would have said, well, first we're going to play a little bit of rally. Then I would have used both Frisbee and the sheep, depending on the location, as kind of a super reward uh, for her compliance in playing the silly game of rally, which makes no sense to her. Frisbee makes sense to her. Sheep makes sense to her. Healing and doing behaviors, these ridiculous tricks, probably don't make a lot of sense to her. So I'm able to kind of use a, a multiple tiered reward system. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. I believe a lot in the power of life rewards, uh, pre-MAC, which simply means using a more likely behavior. So in Tag's case, chasing sheep or a frisbee to reward a less likely behavior. So in that case it would be healing or sit. Um, and so you can do that as well. Let's say you are going to try your new behaviors. You, you, you're starting a, a dog class and your dog now knows sit and down and you're working on loose leash walking. So you go out the door and your dog's like, ah, I'm so excited. I'm loose leash walking. And they're ricocheting around like a fish on a line. And you are practicing your loose leash walking. You're like, oh, I'm going to practice this and we're going to get it right. So you're practicing, practicing, practicing and ask for a sit. And if you get it, immediately say yes and step off, start walking. Because for most dogs, walking is the reason they go for walks. That's the reward for walking, for, for going for walks. So you don't even, even if they won't take treats, you can use the walk as a reward for the sit. So we always need to be thinking as trainers, how we reward a dog? How do we give the dog? What does the dog want under these circumstances in this place and this time? Do they want to sniff? Then can I control their ability to sniff and then reward them with sniffing? Um, do they want to chase a Frisbee? Well, do I have one on me? Can I get them to do the behavior and chase a Frisbee? There are multiple things that we can do to help create a situation where the dog is looking for that reward and the rewards value is high enough that they will do the behavior even in a distracted location. Okay, so you've set everything up. You, you've got your plan, you know what you're training, you've got a system, you've got your rewards, you know what your marker cues are, you know how you're going to deliver your rewards. Are they going to be scattered on the ground? Are they going to be to the hand? Are they going to be caught out of the air? So our dog has an idea of where the hell the rewards are coming from. We know what we're going to reward with. And everything is perfect, except our dog can't remember anything. Their head falls off. Well, shit, now what do we do? Well, we went in with a plan B, or at least we hope we did. Have contingencies. Life isn't perfect. And even if we set everything up and we are patting ourselves on the back that we've set our dog up for success and, oh, this is going to be the best training ever. We're finally going to get that beautiful heel or 
or I know I could get that drop on recall, or I'm going to get a 10 minute stay. And suddenly our dog can't, their heads fall off. They're running in circles. Oh my God. What do we do now? Well, we have a plan B. And depending on the situation, the dog, our criteria, our plan B is, is going to be contingent on all that. If it's a new puppy and our, our, their heads fall off, then plan B is probably either having zero criteria, like can you just exceed, can you just exist on the end of a leash? That's pretty much it. If it's an advanced dog and their heel turns to garbage, uh, because a squirrel walked by, then our, then we're going to say, well, you have about a second to get your shit together, and then we're going to go right back to healing. So <clears throat> it depends on the dog. It depends on how much the, of the reward history the dog already has with a given behavior, and it depends on how well you've done at generalizing that behavior to multiple locations and multiple situations. So you go out to the training area, and it starts to rain, but you've practiced everywhere else. And now your dog's a little distracted. Maybe they don't like rain. So you ask for a couple behaviors, you get them and you go back into the car and you hide out because, well, you don't want to get in wet either. That's a contingency. That's plan B. Um, you go out to practice loose leash walking. Oh, this is a great one. You go out to go loose leash walking and your dog is completely wired for sound and completely crazed and maniacal and runs to the end of the leash and starts strangling themselves to death. And your trainer said, well, you stand there like a tree until the dog stops pulling like a psycho. And then you say yes or reward. And then you take a step and you do that. And you've gone, it's been 20 minutes, it seems like, and you've gone four steps. Okay. What's your plan? Do you just let the dog drag you down the road and allow the dog to essentially teach you that pulling rewards the dog? Do you just turn around and walk back in the house? If you go back inside and uh, go back into the house, is your dog going to be able to go potty someplace else? Is your dog going to be able to get their needs met for exercise and energy someplace else? If so, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no law that says you have to walk your dog. And I'd rather, I personally would rather someone walk in circles in their backyard successfully and then play a little ball and play a little frisbee or practice some other behaviors and do some search and, you know, some scatter feeding, searching for food to kind of give them something to sniff around for and, and meet their needs that way than to allow the dog to water ski them down the road. Or maybe you go back inside and put a harness on. Maybe the harness tells the dog, okay, you know what? <laughs> We're water skiing. Go for it, Fluffy. Next time we'll put a collar on you. And do it then. Uh, maybe what you do is let the dog pull you all the way down the street on the harness for an hour and a half. The dog is tired. Now you snap the collar on, you take the harness off, you go in the house or you go out the door and you get two minutes of good, of good loose leaf walking. You set yourself up for success. And that's, that's the magic. That's where dog trainers take the science and mix it with the art and you end up with a great dog and you end up with a good training session. So what I want you to take from this is a, it's not that hard. You don't have to go sort sheep. Okay. So it's not a big deal. Put the dogs away who will distract you or the kids. Um, one handler at a time. So if you and your spouse are both training the dog, the spouse doesn't say anything while well, you train. 
and then you don't say anything while they train uh, because we can't have two handlers on the same dog. It causes confusion. Um, have rewards, have a plan, have your treats, have your treat pouch on you. If you use a clicker, have your clicker on you. If you use a marker word, know how you're going to deliver food based on that marker word. Um, know what you're going to train. Know where you're going to train it. Know what your uh, criteria are, what your contingencies are if they don't match that criteria, and where you're going to go from there. Be aware of the fact that failure, and putting that in air quotes, of the dog to perform behaviors is almost entirely on you. So what I tend to recommend is if your dog fails at something twice and they heard you and it's not something that, you know, they just couldn't do, then you're going to have to go back and say, why is my dog not doing this? Is it that I'm not rewarding often enough and it's too early in this, in this, in this session for me to not reward? Is it that they don't have a long enough reward history on this behavior, which is kind of the same thing I just said in reverse. Is it, that the dog can't do it in this circumstance. Uh, there's a cat over there that he just can't function around. Well, then what am I gonna do now? So I walk further away from the cat until the dog remembers that I'm there. I pay the dog for paying attention to me and I try again. Um, maybe the dog is tired. Maybe the dog is full. Maybe the dog is got a tummy ache and doesn't feel good. Maybe he has a headache. We can't even know if a dog, when our dogs have headaches, I wouldn't know. Um, all of these, are you in a shitty mood? Are you grumpy? Are you secretly angry at somebody and your body language is screaming that and you have a seriously, seriously uh, sensitive dog and they catch that and that flattens them out and they won't do anything? Or, this is really common, certain breeds of dogs, uh, I think we've talked about this in other podcasts, do what is called stressing up. So if you are in a bad mood and your body language shows it and your dog is sensitive to that and they stress up, suddenly they're jumping on you and clawing at you and pawing at you and, and being annoying. And you're like, why are you doing this? You don't normally do this. If your dog doesn't normally do something and they're doing it, that is a message. That is them telling you something. You may not ever know what something is, but it is important that you make every effort to try to establish what something is because that's the only way to fix what's broken. Um, two failures means that I screwed up and I need to set up a different picture for my dog. That's my rule. If I ask for a sit, my dog stares at me and asks for a sit again. My dog stares at me. I need to do something. I need to go back to luring. I need to go back to paying better. I need to move away from the squirrel. I need to move away from the road. Maybe they're scared. Maybe uh, the sound of gunshots is uh, scaring them. Maybe there's a thunderstorm and they are frightened of thunder. Uh, I All of that has to come into my mind. So what I'm asking you guys to do as dog trainers is do everything in your power to set yourselves and your dogs up for success. Which brings us to household manners. And this, this is, these are the most important things. So the tricks, I'm putting that in air quotes, that we teach our dogs in, in beginner classes, sit and down and come when called. Well, come and called is actually a really important deal. But sit and down, those aren't relevant. No one's going to get rid of their dog because it doesn't sit. The reason people get rid of their dog is because they chew everything they own, they dig up the yard, they bark all night long, all those behaviors. Now, all those behaviors happen because the dog was rewarded in some way for doing those behaviors, okay? I don't know where the reward comes from. It depends on the behavior. It depends on the dog. Your, uh, your job as a dog trainer, as a dog owner, 
is to ensure that our dogs don't start developing these habits. And if you see them heading down that road, you need to stop and say, well, he started barking at windows and I don't like that. And that's essentially two failures. Twice in a row he's done this and I don't like this. So what is causing him to bark at windows? Is it that he sees people going by? Maybe I just pull down the shade. Problem solved. Now I can start working on the underlying issue of why people going by my house upset my dog. That's a trainer issue. Um, why is my dog pooping in the house? Well, do I have I allowed a dog who doesn't understand that um, is fully housebroken to wander the house? Uh, housebroken is not a situation that a dog can be partially. Either a dog is housebroken or they are not housebroken. Just like humans. Your spouse probably doesn't make accidents in the house. So they're either fully housebroken or not at all housebroken. And occasional accidents is the same as accidents. It is a misunderstanding on the dog's part of what the rules are. So how have you set up the situation? Are you giving the dog too much freedom too soon? And I'm going to tell you 99% of the problems that I see in dogs are too much freedom too soon. Is your dog eating shoes? Why does your dog have access to shoes? Why does it have access to shoes in a location that you can't see the dog? That means too much freedom too soon. Uh, is your dog eating, chewing up the drywall? Why does your dog have access to the drywall in a room that you cannot see? If you put your dog in a crate, is your dog crying all night long until you get annoyed and somebody quits and they go and rescue the dog? What have you just trained the dog? You've trained the dog to cry all night long. You've created a catastrophe and now you've got to deal with it. Uh, why does your puppy jump up on you? Because you don't pay attention to it when it's on, fall, on all four feet. And then it jumps up on you and you say, no, no, puppy, get down. And that's attention. That is all of that. Oh, and that's the hard work. Setting up all the training things I was talking about earlier with the treat bags and the treats and, and having a plan and all of those are way easier than this. This stuff's hard. This is picking everything up so your puppy doesn't have access. This is watching your puppy every moment to make sure that they don't make mistakes. This is making sure the new dog that you just adopted doesn't have access to your entire house on three on day three and you wonder why he just got into the garbage. So part of this is work, yikes, and I hate work and I'm lazy. And so we have to have a plan. Now, my dogs, what I do with my dogs is when I get a new dog on the property, they are with me in the house 100% of the time. And when I say with me, that means they are by my side. They are not cruising the house. They're not permitted to make decisions on their own, any part of the house. They are by my side. If they're sleeping, fantastic. If we're playing, fantastic. If I'm training them, fantastic. But they're not up and cruising around. If they're up and cruising around, we go outside. Maybe they had to go potty. This, sadly, like all other things, plays back into are their needs met? Um, I can't bring a Border Collie puppy into my house and expect her to be calm unless I've worn her out, both mentally and physically. It is not fair to take my 12-week-old Border Collie puppy who's out of working lines and expect her to sit in a crate for eight hours. Not only is that physiologically impossible for a puppy that age, but it's, it's not a thing that is appropriate in any way, shape, or form. I need to tire that puppy out and put her away in the crate for one or two hours. 
and then bring her out again and tire her out all over again. And same thing with our dogs. If their needs aren't met, that's part of the contingency or that's part of the antecedent picture that we put together for training. If you are, I have a friend and she's, I'm a run, I used to be a runner. I'm trying to become a runner again, but obviously since I should be running now and instead I'm doing a podcast, I'm going to say I'm not really much of a runner, but I used to be a real runner, like a legit, honest to God runner. And I had a friend who's a running partner of mine and she was addicted to running or not was, she still is addicted to running. And she, I'm not a big, I, I was a runner, but I never needed to run. It's like no part of me is like, oh, if I don't run, I become evil. That's just Dr. Pepper. I'm, I'm a cyclist. I like cycling, bicycling, but running never really lit my fires. She, on the other hand, if she didn't run, she was not in a good mood. It was like a person without coffee um, trying to function in, a, in the real world. It doesn't, it's not a pretty scene. So imagine that you're that person. Um, and you, everybody has that thing, right? I mean, eight hours of sleep or coffee first thing in the morning. For a lot of people, it's coffee. I don't, I don't particularly like coffee. I'm Dr. Pepper, but um, coffee first thing in the morning or a full breakfast or, uh, you know, I, whatever. If you don't have that need met, think of how you go through the day. Now think of it, if you have to sit through a training session. And your trainer is a little grumpy and your trainer didn't bring enough rewards. And by rewards, I mean, your trainer's never said anything good about any efforts you've ever done. And your trainer's a little scatterbrained. You know, they, they keep forgetting where they're at and they're asking you to focus and concentrate, but you just ate a big lunch and you're still not caffeinated and, and you're kind of grumpy that you're going to fail. Now, does that mean you're stubborn? Does it mean you're bad? No, it means that your needs weren't met and your training wasn't perfect. And you could probably tolerate imperfect training, which guess what? You're an imperfect trainer. I'm an imperfect trainer. Everybody I know is an imperfect trainer. So while we're imperfectly training our dogs and trying the best we can do, we don't want our dogs with a caffeine headache and in a shitty mood. So we have to ensure that their needs are met. And if their needs are to have gone for a run and chased 15 squirrels in the morning before you tra train, then those are the needs that need to be met. And those are the needs that need to be met before you can train, again, some of the behaviors you want. So Cody's asleep at my side right now. That's a behavior I want. I'm not gonna ask her to do that if she hadn't already spent weeks being practicing excitement happens outside relaxation happens inside excitement outside relaxation inside she understands this so she knows that excitement is never going to happen inside so i don't want to beat this to death i think i'm getting redundant and i might be getting a little tired because i'm not drinking dr pepper but set up all your contingencies make everything a plan it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be impossible. It just has to mean my new puppy is going to do a couple minutes to sit, sit down, stand, sit down, stand. And then I'm going to throw some kibble and she's going to call her back to me. And we're going to play a little bit of tug. And then she's going to, I'm going to ask for a sit again and see if she can sit while the tug toys in her vision and all done. And then after that, we're going to go outside. We're going to walk around the house two or three times, let her kind of sniff and check things out, chase some lizards. And then I'm going to put her in the way in the crate for an hour and a half because now she's tired. 
And then in two hours, because she's a puppy, when she wakes up again, we're going to do it again. Sit. Can you sit? Good girl. Here's the, let's try free shaping on this thing. Free shaping is very tiring for dogs. Um, so we want to set everything up. We want to help ourselves. And if things go south and it turns into a shit show and you feel yourself getting frustrated, upset, pissed off, blaming the dog, throw a handful of treats on the floor, say that'll do and walk away. Walk away. Don't get angry. Don't say a bunch of curse words and say, this freaking dog's going to do what I say by God right now. He's ignoring me. He's blowing me off. Rah, 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 rah. Walk away. It's hard. I, I understand. I have a dog who is really good at pushing my buttons. And there are times I'm like, you, so-and-so, I am going to, you are going to come by. And he's like, nope, because my body language changed. And by God, he's now terrified because my body language changed and nothing on earth is going to make this dog calm down, but my calming down. And if I can't calm down in that moment, then I need to walk away. And that's the only way to succeed. Your dog does not learn anything, both negative or positive, if you simply end training session. If you're struggling and you're having a tough time finding the solution and your dog is getting frustrated, that'll do. Handful of kibble on the floor, walk away. Go back to the drawing board. Find a better way to explain what you want to your dog. Find a better way to create success. You'll find it if you're creative. And if you're not creative, guess what? There's Google. Yeah, how awesome is that? So create success by creating a plan, creating a framework, and creating a plan B when, the, when things don't go right. Be fluid. Be willing to go with the flow. Be in the moment. And your dog will thank you, and your training will skyrocket, and you will become much better. Uh, training doesn't have to last for hours. Literally five minutes of training is way better than 20 minutes of crappy training. Um, all day long, you're training a dog. All day long. If you go and you and you pay attention to the dog who's barking, you've just taught the dog to bark. If you ignore the dog and it makes a mistake, quote unquote, in the house, you've taught the dog that they can go poop in the hallway. So you're always training. And that means that you always have to be on. If you have a new dog in the house. No, I'm not on right now. I mean, my dogs are, are adults. I have a bunch of adult dogs in the house. And uh, Tag is the youngest and she's two and a half. And she's reliable in the house. So I don't have to be training her all the time. But if I had a new dog to the house, I'd be training that dog. And that means that I need a break. So if I need a break, they have a crate. They can go outside. They have dog runs. There are multiple places that they can go to give me a break. Or I can hand them a Kong toy. I can hang them a hand them a chew toy. I can hand them a licky mat with frozen peanut butter on it. I have multiple options to give myself that mental space. Because yes, I'm training all the time, but I don't want to be training all the time. I, I have a life. And so I need a place to park dogs when I don't want to be training. So that means either the older dogs are out and the younger dog is created. Set yourself up for success. Set yourself up for a picture of success. Know what your goals are. Know how to get there. Have pictures in your mind and you'll get there. It, training is very easy if you set yourself up with the right picture. So I think I'll wrap it up with that. Um, like, share, something, word, word. Crap. <laughs> so tired. This is all Maggie's fault. Um, like, share, review, 
some other word. Like, share. I can't, I can't. I don't know what it is. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends, please. And I want to thank those of you who've actually said good things about our podcast. I think that's awesome. I can't, I'm kind of floored by that. So thank you. And I will hopefully be able to trap Maggie in a corner or rope uh, Emily and get her on here next week. So you guys don't have to hear my voice again next week. But thank you very much. Have a fantastic evening, morning, afternoon, drive, what have you. And I will see you all next week. Bye.